Have you ever had a visionary idea for a business? Poured your heart and soul into it, only to watch it not pan out the way you'd hoped? And then you muster the courage to try again, but face failure once again? If this sounds familiar, you're in good company. I've experienced this and chances are you've experienced this too. Every entrepreneur has experienced setback in some form, but not every entrepreneur is able to bounce back from these setbacks. Today, we're joined by the comeback king, Lex Fafega. Lex is the co-founder of Kamuzi. At its core, Kamuzi is a creative workshop where groundbreaking ideas come to life. They partner with their clients to dream up and develop early stage prototypes, which are essentially the initial versions of new technology products. Over the past 10 years, Lex and the team have experienced four major failures before they eventually found a model that works for them. In recent years, they've been able to build up a team and they've landed some large clients, including Samsung, BBC and the NHS. They've also been able to raise investment. This is 1000 Voices, the go-to source if you're a Black Britain ready to make a difference but are stuck at the how. We unpack the tools that Black British changemakers have used to drive change and ways in which you can too. I'm your host, Tevin Kitto, and I'm on a personal mission to eradicate all inequality and make the world a better place for us all. So without further ado, this is 1000 Voices and here we have Lex Fafega. You got an interesting background, yeah. I think you referred to yourself as I might be getting it a bit wrong, but something like um South London boy from the ends that wanted to be a footballer. And so you've gone from South London guy from the ends, wanted to be a footballer, and now you're here talking about AI and tech and you're, you're, in, this, you're in this you're in this tech. I just world. realized you navigated on my website. You spoke to my website thinking <laughs> When did I put this in Instagram? Then I realized <laughs> I have my whole website. Yeah, yeah folks, yeah. you can talk to me on my website, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nah, yeah. What's, 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 how did that happen? What's your journey? How did you go from the football to the text base? I guess at that time in my life, right, I'm from South London. You know how it is, which I, you know, our parents are telling us, study this, study this, do this. You know what I mean? My grandparents mm. were very big. I was raised by my grandparents. So they were very much like, you need to study. My granddad was a, was an academic. So he was like, yeah, you need to study the, the, and I'm just like, bro, I haven't want to kick ball. Mm. Well, I'm trying to, you know, blow for music. One of the two. So, you know, just try to like pursue ball as much as I could. And then when I got to like 19, I was like, bro, I'm playing semi-pro. Like, I don't think I'm going to make it pro. My needs to figure it out. So, but my whole plan throughout from when I was at 14, 15 was like, I'm going to try see where this ball thing can go. Cause I was tall. I was fast. I was playing center back. So it was like, okay, hopefully, you know, if I do the basics really well, can win a header, I'm faster, stronger than most people, I'm good. Hopefully, you know, man don't focus on London teams, try to focus on teams out of ends. There's a bare black duns like me in London. That was the, that was the whole, that was the headspace. Hopefully things will work out. You know, went from team to team. And when I got to 19, it just didn't bang. But at the time I was like, cool, because I always accepted that this is, you know, the chances of it might not work out. So I was going to study sports science um, at Portsmouth, actually. Um, first, I actually wanted to go to America. And I did like a, like one of them soccer scholarship stuff. So you basically, you play a match, the universities watch you. And then they basically be like, yeah, you're cool. Da -da 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 -da. We could possibly offer you something, but it's never like a full scholarship. 
you know, it's like maybe 60% scholarship. And that's like, bro. Still like, pricey. You like, still got it. I'm getting the bread, fam. <laughs> yeah. I ain't getting all that bread. So you just got to focus on like London and stuff. Or go Loughborough, for example. That was the best unions, sports science. Go Loughborough, try to like do well there. And then my whole plan was like, if I do Loughborough for a BA, can I do a master's in America? and strength and conditioning. I was really interested in strength and conditioners, that performance side. I knew that strength and conditioning coaches in this country don't get paid. They don't get paid well here. Um, starting salaries for a Premier League club can be like 24 bags. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really low. And some of them would be, I think it was a football team, I can't remember which one, it might have been a champ team. And they put a job row out for African strength and conditioning coach and it's like, must have a master's. <laughs> there, then the size size is like twenty four k. Oh like, my gosh! Right. My person who's ever done that is in so much debt. <laughs> <laughs> you started, you know what I mean. So I know that in America, like especially if you get into a, if you manage to work in a Division One university, like strength and conditioning coaches get paid really well. And also at that time, I knew that my body was being built for other sports, like a rugby, like an American football. So. You know, but at the time, there weren't really, like, a route. There's now routes now. If you want to play American football in the UK, there's now the NFL Academy and stuff mm. where you can, like, boom. So my headspace was, like, very much sports. Um, but I had a summer of enlightenment where I had, you know, Rich, one of my co-founders, Matchet. So community started with four co-founders and one left in 2015. Um, so Rich... Matchet, oh man, it was actually first me and Matchet, we had the summer of enlightenment where we just started making music. Well, Matchet and I have always been making music from like secondary school. And like Matchet mm. would rap in Polish and I would rap in like, like just, yeah, normal rap and that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we'd just be making his music, putting it like on YouTube somewhere and things. And then I think we had one like kind of summer of enlightenment where we just made music, and then there was a song, even featured um, Flo Hayo, who's doing amazing stuff right now. And I think it was called Pure School Records. And they were like, yeah, we should create a record label called Pure School Records. So we created a record label. Um, and then, because we wanted to, we had friends who made music and we wanted to put them on. Matchet had a home studio. So we were like, all right, cool, Matchet. You know, and Matchet's parents were also kind of cool with Matchet. Maybe having folks come into his house and record. So if we record, have a studio, maybe we can make this stuff work. You know, this is 2012, 2013. Obviously, to have a, to make music, you need money in it. Or to, if you want to do it well, like we were like inspired by like Disturbing London, mm. inspired by like Jay-Z, Independent, da, da. So you need bread. How are you going to make bread to fund this stuff? And so it became this thing of like, all right, cool. Um, and that's why I talk about Rich. Rich was, because what happened was Rich, that's when I brought Rich involved and, and the kill came slightly a bit later. Um, and so I brought Rich, because Rich was always this person. We used to link up every Thursday, like um, in 2012, we used to link up every Thursday to talk about our business ideas. We were meeting Subway Victoria. That was mm -hmm. the day off I had off, because I was um, playing for, uh, I think, Woolstone FC, and I was going to college at Stanmore. Um, and so Thursday was the days that we didn't have like training 
in, in, in from college and stuff. It's like a day off because we always we were always play on Wednesday. So I was like, I had cool link up with Rich on a Thursday. We always were talking, yeah, what business here should we do here? But we should do this. Da, 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 da. And then I said to Rich, hey, Rich, I got this record label thing, you know, I started it with Match It. Let me introduce you. Mm. And Rich has always been that person to this day where Rich would be like, if he, if he thinks it's something worthwhile, he'd be like, yeah, I got it. <laughs> so Rich comes on board because Rich was always the businessy one. Well, I guess Match It now was going to, you know, very much fuel our head with the creative side of stuff. And so Rich first made a website for the Pilskins Records because he was studying multimedia technology at Brunel. He first tried to make a website as part of his, like, he had a project for his coding project and he was like, the website was, it, it was, it was, it was, it was ass. <laughs> so it was ass. It was bad. <laughs> so we're like, all right, cool. What's going on? What's the pattern? And then this went Gab. So there used to be a group of us, me, Richard, and a friend called Ernest. Um, Ernest very much at the time was doing a lot of like entrepreneur stuff. Um, like he would, you know, he wrote a book. He, he you know, it was interesting, interesting. I love Ernest. I love Ernest. Ernest was the guy that I used to say was the master of like, Persuasion, communication. I learned a lot of stuff from Ernest, like the use of hands, all of that stuff. Ernest taught me a lot about communicating because I'm very much a closed off character. Like outside of this podcast and if I'm talking here because I'm mentally prepared. Outside of this, I'm I'm all right, man. Don't disturb me. That type of stuff. But um, but yeah, so match it. And then I'm in Ernest. And then Ernest, Gabs, I think Gabs don't kill me. This is true. But I think Gabs and Ernest used to work together and stuff. And I think Ernest would find people and then Gabs would make the websites. So these lot kind of had their own web design mm. setup going on. And I'm like to Gabs, ah, bro, hey, we need to make our own website for our record label because like Rich tried to do one <laughs> and then Gabs put us on, you know, there was, um, put us on to WordPress. Um, for those, I guess a lot of us might know WordPress now is, you know, content management system, which you can build quite a lot of stuff on. It powers at least 43% of the internet. That's how sophisticated and important WordPress is. A lot of public government websites are built on WordPress or Drupal. Those are like similar stuff. And Gabs will put us on. And so for me, like you could do a lot of WordPress sites without ever having to touch code. But I was also interested in like the, the behind the scenes, the underlayer of stuff. And so I was like, okay, this looks really fascinating. This is really cool. And then... um. Ernest was always like the big dreamer. So we go to Ernest's house and we watch E. I think it's E. I think it's channel E. And then it's the American channel. Yeah, yeah. it's like entertainment. Yeah. And I think it was one channel of Larry Ellison, who's the founder of Oracle, you know, the big legacy software company. And like, we're like, rah, swear down. These men are making tech money like this. And we need to get into tech because I think it was an episode of him buying a beach. Obviously, I now know that him buying the beach wasn't the smartest thing or wasn't the most ethical thing to do. But at that time, I'm like 18, 19, I'm just free money. I'm from ends. That's, <laughs> you know, I see man them make bread the way they make the bread, innit? You know what I mean? And I'm trying to find another way to make bread because I'm tempted by that side, but I'm like, I won't get in trouble. I ain't got the heart for it. You know what I mean? I'm trying to like make money this way. So we're like, yeah, cool. Boom. We need to, we need to tap into tech more. Obviously, we have this record label. So I began to research, like, about how tech, <coughs> sorry, 
Where's it? I said I'm going to water. It's on the right. Oh, sorry. Drink some water. Drink some water real quick. Sorry. Yeah, it's so good, man. Yeah, you got me talking, man. I thought I was ready, man. <laughs> yeah. I watched it. I watched it. I was like, ah, oh, this is going to be a place where I can actually talk. You know what I mean? Because I don't think we, t- we don't talk a lot yeah. about like, we don't talk. Me, I can rich don't talk as much about the journey. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, 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 that, it's a, it can be, it's been a rewarding journey, but also a traumatic journey at the same time. I can imagine. So, um, yeah, what happened? Um, yeah, so I'm interested in like watching Harrison, he's got tech. I'm like, okay, cool. We've got this record label thing. At the time, UK, black music in terms of rap, I think the year where it began to pop off, like 2014, 2015. Yeah. We're just at 2013 now. So it's we don't know about this future's happening. We're, mm. You know what I mean? We're just trying to put our friends on. We're trying to make them, you know, sound right. We're trying to make them make lyrics. We're trying to think about how we're going to help our friends. We need to put them on open mic shows. We need to plug them to BBC, I think, Unplugged. We're thinking about stuff like that. We're trying to get mm. our artists, like, residencies to sing at the Ritzy. Like, we were doing bare different stuff. We were yeah, just yeah. gas. I don't even know what type of energy we had at that time. <laughs> but the motto was like, we had no girlfriend, we had no mortgage. We could just bloody do it. Yeah, Half yeah, of the yeah. stuff that we did then, we can't do it now. Mm. It, it, it ain't gonna work. Yeah. But at that time, it was a perfect time. But, um, so back to that story, I began to, I was really interested about like, how does technology and music come together? Um, and then I found out about like, um, Scott Parker, who was at the time Lady Gaga's manager, and then Scooter Braun, who I don't know if he's still Justin Bieber's manager, but at the time he was. And those two were very savvy about, I guess they were exposed to, I guess because Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber at the time were probably the biggest artists in the world, and at the time the social media apps like Instagram and a bunch of others will come in and I guess those apps will go to Scott Parker, will go to, I mean, go to Troy Parker, will go to Scooter Brona, and maybe say, look, hey, we get Justin on these apps, we get Lady Gaga on these apps, they got influence, they got power, people are going to come to flood and download those apps. So them lot began to be very savvy about like building partnerships with these apps to get like shares or, you know, maybe minority shares, but still have some sort of ownership. Mm. So I began to explore, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is, this is serious, you know. Um, Lady Gaga had this social network called Little Monster, and it was basically Lady Gaga universe on, on steroids. And I'm like, okay, this thing might work. Then at the time, we've like started making websites um, to try to fund our, like our videos, our ideas, our concepts. Um, we've been getting some funding from um, I think the startup loans at the time, which oof, I've never. <laughs> I've never said to anyone to do it, fam. Yeah. Why is that? Because it was a personal loan. Yeah. So, you know, at the time, we didn't know anything about, like, liabilities and all of that stuff. So you're taking a loan for your business, and it's a personal loan. So even if the business closed down, you still got to pay that back. And then the repayment structures also were very unfair. Like, at the time, you know, we're fresh-faced. We didn't know anything. You've taken on this loan of, like, a couple thousand pounds to start the business, but then after year one, you're paying like 80, 90, 100 pounds a month. 
80, 90, as in like, so it's gone up, you mean, or something? Or? Yeah, the payment terms at first was kind of reduced, like 23 pounds a month. Oh, right, okay. That was light. Yeah. You, know, you put some money aside. Then it goes up to 100, you go, whoa. Yeah, yeah. You know, I ain't making bread at that time, you know yeah. what I mean? And so, yeah, so what happens, I guess, with that, that transition is um, we, 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 we found an artist called Lyrican. He was from Manchester. He had some songs. I guess this is what happens. We learned very early not to get not to get caught up in the concept of views and stuff. But yeah, at the time, he had clocked a lot of views. But like, yeah, he's popping his peak. You know what I mean? And Lyrican was a visionary. He was a visionary. He had a vision. He just needed like people with money to fund his vision. So, you know, we did this music video. It's called What You Want From Me from Lyrican. I think, he had a, you know, at the time he got like, when it came out, it was like Record of the Week by Charlie Slough. But we basically put like a budget of like £6,000 to make this video. This it is all, all startup loan money. A combination of startup loan money and website money. Oh my gosh. It was a, com <laughs> it was a, it was a combination. <laughs> combination <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It's a combination, you know. Um, we'll put this money in and like, what happens? We... Um, we, um, yeah, I remember that it was shot with a red. It's the first time so, I ever yeah. heard of a red, you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> they shot with a red. We had a studio. It was done in the studio in East London. I don't know if it's still about. We had set designs. We had, like, you know, video models or vixens. You lot you went know, all out, innit? it? You know, painted faces with glitter. We had stylists. We went, we had, like, I don't even know what the crap of that time. That was, like, the time when you have the Kanye type um, leather shirts and that, or the yeah. um, Giuseppe's and the Zanotti's and that. We yeah. had that. <laughs> we had the Zanotti's, fam. You rent that for one day, you know what I mean? You give it back. That's where we ain't buying it. It was yeah. for that shoot. Yeah. You know, we're buying some rock bottles, you know, putting water in the bottles and that. And we filmed this stuff, put bare money. We get a radio plugger. We get a PR agency. Like we do all the things, Man. you know, like it's like, you know, we learn about the radio plug-in process that you just don't launch the song and he goes into radio. You got to build it up over time, put in mm. local radio first, da -da 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 -da. and then boom, I probably don't think now we st the radio plug-in process is anymore, but this, because now you can probably go on YouTube, go on Jam Daily, you can go on SBTV, uh, Mix It Madness, Pac-Man TV, I can't even remember the rest. Yeah. And probably your thing blow up, you know what I mean? But at that time, we were trying to put money because the song was very much had this like um, tiny temper pass out feel. So we are going right. So you thought it was going to be like that yeah, kind of radio what? hit that... But, um, it, yeah. That song was a good song still. Yeah. It was a really good song. It's actually a really good song. Mm. Like I actually have that song on my phone. All right. Yeah, it's a really good song. I don't even know if I can play it, but it's a really, really... But then what really, happened? Really, really, you lot put a lot into it. Oh, God. Every, put all oh, your eggs God. into that basket, man. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> it didn't turn out the way you wanted oh, it to turn God. out. Oh, God. I didn't even... Rich is the person that will remember the stat. All I know is we ever sold 27 singles or we sold 64. Something like that. We ever sold 64 yeah. and we got 20. All I know is... Not enough to recoup the money. We did not recoup that money, dog. Man. And you still had that loan to pay off as well. I had to pay off that loan, dog. Oh my god! That loan, man. you know, that loan took me a couple of years to pay off, dog. You know, if even you know what I mean. Yeah. So we were like, ah, right, cool. <laughs> but, uh, this shit is 
This shit is scalable, fam. You spent seven bags on a on a video. You got nothing back. I ain't got no more on the capital. You know, we're just fresh face. We just in dream world. Like we're nineteen. We're naive. Yeah. Like we got nineteen with money. We're like, bruv, let's just, you know, we're taking pictures of us in suits and shit, flexing. Mm, mm. Well, you name it, like, and I'm like, why am I doing that? You that know? sounds like it was probably your first major business setback or failure. Yeah, it was. And you had to bounce yeah. back from that. How did you bounce yeah. back from that? So what happened then was we began to, like, think, okay, that whole, look, going back to that music and tech idea, it was like, okay, how did we fuse music and technology together. Lady Gaga's got this, it's got this um, thing called um, Little Monsters, where it's a social network. Okay, how do we build our own social networks? So basically it was like, can we take the fan club concept? Can we basically build power users? Because at the time in 2013, the music industry still had this fear of technology. They weren't as openly mm-hmm. embracing as it. At one point, now you've got YouTube streams contribute to your chart positioning and Spotify streams and you name it. And at one point, that weren't necessarily the case. So it was like, could we... So what I started doing was going around to people saying, you know, let's... I would go around to record labels basically with like a piece of like... like a sheet of paper and go around and say like, we can work with your art. We can work to connect your artists to your fans. You know, we can create a website, we can do all these different things. But did you have a business idea or you just you were just sort of just going out and hey, trying we to just pivot in our head yeah. and be like, hey, let's try it out. Yeah. And then I met a guy called Matt McCready. Shout out to Matt McCready. Um he ran a startup called Music X Ray. Music X Ray basically you and that's when I first got exposed to AI as well, because Mike was a visionary. The whole idea was like people submit music to this portal. He gets A and R to listen to this to this music, and they verify whether it's good or not. Mm. And he has that this way of capturing data and information. But his goal was to create an algorithm that basically knew how to make a hit record. I see. So he was always like this. He had this like big, big dream. But Mike was like this like really smart, intelligent person. And we met one time um, for drinks, and he was like, "Yeah, I think it's cool." Duh, duh. We didn't see him again. He, he basically got us to sign up to Music X Ray to like also like um, be a part of this process. Then September 2013, I'm about to go back to uni, you know, and I'm just, I haven't even started, you know, and I'm like, ah, right, cool, I'm about to go to uni. I get an email from Mike McCready. Hey Alex, how are you? How you feeling? I think you should come to Barcelona today. Today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he buys me a flight, I end up in Barcelona to speak at the Future of Music Conference. And I'm talking about like this dream of how we can build connections for music artists, how we build, how we tap into that hyper-engaged fan and how can we build tech tools that would build, that would bridge this relationship between artists and fan, bring them closer. Cause I guess at one point you write fan clubs, you you know, send letters to your artists and stuff, but there's always this thing of like, how do you build closer connections, you know, to your artists to, you know, you know, build that relationship. And so people really resonated with that. And then I met um, Scott Cohen, who is the founder of, one of the co-founders of The Orchard. The Orchard, they're fully owned, I think, by Sony right now, but The Orchard at the time, our distribution platform. So if you're an independent artist, you could 
upload your metadata to the um to the orchard and then the orchard would basically like put it on like all the digital distribution platforms that Spotify did there. And the orchard were very good about data. Like they had access to data like that could help give you more information about like stuff like where's your sales coming from? So you know if you're an independent artist, you need to plan your tour, you could see for the first time, I got a lot of my sales here. We can, you know, do all of these things. So they're really forward thinking about stuff. And Scott Ho Cohen was like, hey, yeah, you all should tap into this music tech stuff more. So that's when the second iteration of the business evolves and it becomes Kamuzi. Right. So Kamuzi is community and music fused oh, together. Oh, that's where the name comes I see. from. Obviously, because we're not tapped into music like that, it was obviously people, you know, but music is community and music put together. So we create the community app. The whole idea is that, you know, fans come to these portals and they basically, it's like a like an early iteration of what we have now with Patreon. With Patreon now, you can, you know, subscribe to something, to a creator. You can subscribe, you know, monthly, you can support them and then this creator creates content you can communicate and all that stuff and you have that close relationship at the time we just didn't really think about the subscription model and maybe think it could work i think we was a bit scared so we were like how do we build this how do we bring people together and how do we make it work and we were like okay advertising we didn't really understand like the business model of advertising the advertising models the freeman model only works really well uh, you need large scale. In order for it to be worth mm. while for any advertising company, you need large numbers. Like, you know, and um, the, we were thinking about like stuff like, okay, if we got the fans to, to engage with the artists in this way, they get points. And then basically after certain points they get, they can cash in on their points to get particular rewards. It could be like, get a discount from Coke, do this, do that. There were particular like software you could use where you can have, um, you know, you can connect it to your to your platform and it would do the advertising side for you. So you don't need to like worry about that. And I remember we were building it, creating it. Rich did this market like analysis of like, because we were doing all these things, no money. Mm. This is pure, we got a dream. I go back and forth with Richard and then kill. I said, guys, I think it could work, it could work, it could work. <laughs> and, then, and they eventually go, okay, okay. <laughs> and you know, and I promised to kill. I have make him rich. That was the that was the whole thing. Was that was obviously because uh, I knew a kill. A kill had a kill had a quality that was different from all of us. Where he knew how to navigate, and he still knows how to navigate space so well. And he he knows how to put himself in front of people. You know, he know you know he knows how to you know he has that star energy about him. Where Rich and I almost we're not used to that. We were trying to you know, you got to hide, but when you run a business, you also have to be comfortable with that. And you have to keep your anxieties and all of these things here and, you know, go and mm. do that. So, um, so we moved into the community app. We, we realized very early, yeah, this might not work because we need market economics. We're like, okay, let's go to investors. So, you know, you start thinking, okay, let's reach out to these investors. And they say, and we're like, oh, in our mind, we would obviously, and the UK tech scene is so, it's different now from what it was at that time. So A, the signing of black people in tech at that time. B, investors, everybody, you know, where most of my inspirations came from was America. 
I look at America, I look at the American tech scene. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's fucking cool. How do I do something here in the UK? How do I take inspiration from this energy? You heard these stories. Guys came up with a prototype for an app. They just meet somebody. And someone says, you're cool. Has 50 bags. <laughs> Build something. Like, and I thought, yeah, if I make myself be a builder, and I had to whip up stuff and I had to code things. I could build a version one of everything. Cool. I'll meet somebody in London and it was giving me bread. Two different energy, man. <laughs> we were going to speak to investors and investors would say to us, how do you make us money back in three months? Mm. And we'd be like, I mean, three years. And we'd be like, ooh. And in my head, I'm like, with some of these things that we're trying to do, they're not going to have success, peak success in three years. Peak success is like six or seven because like- Because we are building like- fresh new things yeah. a lot of the time that haven't even been seen before yeah haven't been seen before yeah so it takes a little bit of time time yeah to get and an attraction with those kind of things language you need to build and that concept of product market fit like you're basically building products and you don't know if there's a market for it and you that is you know is scary consumer products is a very scary place BTC mm. you know for folks like it's a scary place like I talked to one of my friends um, called Samuel we always talk about it because he he's a he's a bloody genius but he always says to me like bro I'm not gonna lie building business to consumer products sometimes is <laughs> tacky man and mm. like building B2B so it's a very scary place and you need investors who they just believe in you as people they don't even believe in what you got they're like you lot are fine don't worry forget out and we build this stuff go put it in front of people and they would be like and how do you turn the money for years? And we had not thought that far. We were just like, just give us money. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't have money. Mm. I put this thing, I beg, just, <laughs> it works. Just yeah, give yeah. us something. So we tried to, so we spent this time in like this, like space for a while where we're trying to find our feet. So we go from music, we see like, okay, we can't make money from this. So we have this stage. By that time, we, we I'm, in 2013, we got free office space in, um, in, 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 in Forest Gate, because I think the company called City Base, they had this program. I think I found this on like page nine of Google search. I was just trying to find a place. <laughs> I've, I've never gone that far, oh, bro. I went that far, <laughs> fam. One night. I shout out to God, fam. <laughs> and like, um, and it was a free office space. So we had a free office space in City Base, City, City Base Stratford. I think they used it predominantly for the Olympics. So it wasn't like a packed office building. But I think because of the Olympics, it was space that they had remaining that because mm. Olympics was 2012. So we're doing stuff at that same time and people have moved out. Like I think, I think it was used for security services at the time for the Olympics and stuff. And then Olympics is done, so people have cut. So it's just mm. bare space. Yeah. And then I think the chief marketing officer had this program, which is on page nine. So maybe it wasn't something that was public in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I reached out and I'm like, yeah, get, get a business place. We got like an office space. We had no furniture. We had to like go next door. The next door doors used to be open. They had that room decks or had bare furniture. And mm -hmm. Ak and I would just come and like put in our office. Mm -hmm. So we had an office. I think it must be a two people office, fam. The way we designed that table, there was bare what's in there, fam. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, you know, when you're starting, you got to do what you got to hey, do, man. When you're ooh. starting up. <laughs> we invited the mandem to come work from there. You know what I mean? Some yeah, days yeah. you don't even know if it's work or not. But at that yeah. time, it was just bare pressure. It was bare pressure because we didn't have money. You know what I mean? Mm. And like, for me coming, you know, I come from, you know, certain environments where I didn't have bread. So I, I approach these things a lot with do or die. 
she mm. needs to pop off, you know. Yeah, I'm hearing a couple of things from your from your journey. Like you, um, when you take it back a bit, when you talk about the the start of the music guy Mac McRae or McRae, I'm getting it mixed up probably, but that guy. And then, like, obviously, that opportunity has come around. He said, "Come here, come Barcelona, get your ticket, come speak, and that kind of thing." And that's that's sick. Yeah. But obviously, that's come off the back of the other the other business before that didn't work out. And from there, you it, you've gone and done yeah. what you've done. Couple things. First, it sounds like you lot just got on with it. Like after you your six seven k down, it's like cool. Pull your socks up and let's just get back. Yeah. Let's let's just get back at it. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. And then. The other side of things as well is that you've that person, this Mac guy that said, yeah, cool. And he's like, took you on board and he probably saw something in you or whatever. And he's yeah. like taking you on his wing. That's sick. But on the flip side, and from my own experience, and I, I know how these things work, it's like you've got to reach out to 100 people for yeah. one to be like, to get that one yes. Yeah. I don't know if that was your bro, experience. That was a, that was like, <laughs> bro, I was a master of that, bro. Yeah. I was a master. I, I used to get blocked on LinkedIn. <laughs> LinkedIn blocked my access, bro. I had to email LinkedIn saying, I'm a young entrepreneur. I'm just trying to make it. <laughs> Please forgive me. Because at that yeah. time on LinkedIn, people, back then when you're trying to add people on LinkedIn, especially music industry, they would have shit where it's like, because I guess I'm not the only person that's trying to search for them. There's artists who are trying to find these A&Rs or all these people. Me, I'm just trying to be like, hey, just work with us to like do some tech shit. I am really trying to work with you to push some artists down your way. Yeah. Um, coming from a different angle. Coming from a different angle. But like, people don't know you. Like, three mm -hmm. black guys and, and and one Polish brother from from from, from South London, fam. You, know, you mm -hmm. get me? Like, people don't know you. So people are like, and I think at the time you have to be really creative because there'll be like stuff like, uh, like, what's this person's email before they accept you? Yeah. They do that sometimes now. I think if there's some settings you can do, yeah. you put in their email. And put this. in their email. So you have to be creative, bro. You yeah. got another... You gotta try to find another person's email. What? <laughs> Sometimes you can guess the email. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bro, I was creative with yeah. this shit, bro. Now I'm friends with record labels. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. Like I'm friends, I got good friends at record labels, you know. Well, I'm even we're even pitching right now to record label for mm. to do some interesting generative AI stuff. Like well, this is a 10 year journey, bro. Yeah, yeah, Let me yeah, tell you, yeah. this is a 10 year journey. You, you get me? Start so, somewhere, you start in that, that yeah. office space, you squeeze everyone into yeah, the two man office, every man, and you bro. work, and you work, bro, man. Man, people that will work, shout out everybody in the beginning because a lot of people will just be like, hey, you know, can we can we come in and work with you? So one summer, you have someone come in and just do something for you. Mm -hmm. Bare people use that in their CV, fam. Bare people can use it in their CV, fam. You know what I mean? Did you take that same kind of mindset, yeah? Did you, when you was on LinkedIn reaching out to bare people, yeah? And then take that to Kimuzi from that, them early days as well. Because again, you're a new company. you got yeah. to get some clientele in. Same thing, bro. Even mm. now, the mm. energy's never stopped. Right, right. You know, maybe I just don't go as hammer as I used to because over time, reputation, all the stuff. But bro, we were hustlers. I haven't even gotten to that whole... So we go from Kimuzi... Um, then I'm like, well, at the time, so we've, we've been in city base. We obviously hadn't made money, so we have to leave city base. We ended up working out of um, Google Campus. I think it's called Campus London now, but it was Google Campus. They had a cafe downstairs. The cafe was was a free cafe. It was basically the place where all the startup people with ideas have dreams. And it's like a it's like a, a, a progression process. So all the other floors there, I think, was rented by a company, owned by a company or rented by a company called Tech Hub, where like the startups, you got the money, they go upstairs to Tech Hub and then the broken <laughs> ventures are downstairs. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Man sitting on like, 
fucking these stalls that probably contributed to to, to, to my back issues yeah, and stuff. I've been campus, man. Them stalls are uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, bro. <laughs> oh, you have the wooden chair. You have to get there early. To get a seat with a plug. Seat, yeah, to plug. Yeah, yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. Hey. You have to get there proper, proper early. early. I remember, yeah. So, and what happened was, I was just beginning with, you know, we tapped into the community more because we were always trying to figure out what's going on. And that birthed a number of things. So the first thing it birthed was, um, was we were like, I had this idea of like, could we build software for startups that can help them basically, especially SaaS startups, who maybe needed customer service tools? Could we build? Could we build? Could we build a software that allows them to run their own customer service pipeline from their mobile phone? So we built something called BizChat VBX. It was based on an open source library. I used to be this person where I used to find open source libraries that I would modify. That's how I actually really learned to code. I'd have the seeds open source libraries and then I'll modify them in order to like achieve a particular purpose. This might be like an open source library that hasn't been maintained for a number of years. An open source for folks who are not familiar with that, when you, you know, if you're create, writing code, creating code, there is websites like GitHub where people might have this, you know, maybe um, I create a lab, I create a video editing software. So you might have the commercial video soft editing software, which exists, which you have to pay for. You don't have access to their code. It's, you know, and then you might have someone who goes, hey, these tools are expensive, so I'm actually going to build my whole one. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give access to the community. And what, you know, and that people in the community can download it, modify it, regardless if you keep to the licensing. So there might be a license and stuff. And um, and you can modify it for your own use case. Some might, Some licenses might even allow you to build commercial versions of it even further. So that was like a fastest way. Cause for me, it was always about speed. Money was tight. So I needed to build stuff fast that I can put in front of people, hopefully raise money or like mm. get money in from other people, buying our services, doing shit. And then trying to rebuild the whole code base after once you're like in full flight. That was like mm. the vision. So we first tried to build small business software tools. We got a bit of traction. I remember Kill doing some interviews with Thompson Reuter in a cab where you have to go around and he talks about promoting the service. We've got a little bit of funk, like support there, but we didn't obviously use startups that have money, especially mm. the startups we were trying to sell to, which was broke people like us in Google campus. <laughs> they ain't got bread fam. Mm. So, but that same technology, it was using what we would call WebRTC. WebRTC at the time had just been introduced as a, as a, as a, like, how do I say it? It's like a, it's a, it's a library. It's a, um, but the whole purpose of WebRTC to simplify this, is predominantly when you use video calls, but you still do it now, you would most likely have to download software. You'd have to download software like Skype and all this stuff. You have to download it on your computer and all these things. WebRTC was this, it's this protocol which was to make, was to stop you from having to download these tools and you can just have communication via the browser. So it reduces the barrier mm -hmm. to entry, and it opens up a whole bunch of new opportunities. My grandparents were chronic patients of the NHS. And one day my granddad, he's a very slow walker. Um, normally when you go to the hospital, there'd be like a coach that come pick him up in the morning. That day he woke up late, he just moved slow. My granddad just moved slow. And the coach left him. I remember my grandma being upset. And I was like, rah, 
Like, how could I do stuff around healthcare? We have the same technology that's built around communication. Could we repurpose it to make it work for healthcare? So then I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to build a team. So, you know, I'm going to do the front end. I, I know about WebRTC really well. So I'm going to need someone to help me build the back end. And then I go to use a platform called Upwork. And I find a developer, developer in China called Cheng Wanzhou. You know, really cool guy. Never spoke English. We talked on Skype. <laughs> and he would build the WebRTC side. And then I built the front end. And then Matchet was still there at the time. Matchet would design. So Matchet was a design guy. I was the guy that would build the front end. Cheng Wanzhou would build the back end. Rich was the guy who would make sure the business runs. Ak was the guy who would push to sell because Ak had the ability to connect with people. So that was the mm -hmm. team. That was the function of the team. Um, and we were doing this ourselves. We were funding this stuff ourselves. I think Richard was working. Richard must have been working at Tesco at the time. Um, Ak, I don't think he had, I think, I don't think, I think Ak had stopped working for that time, for that bit. Um, then I think what happens is we need the money. So what we start doing, we built, so traditionally this is a community way of working and it's been a thing that's followed through throughout the years. We build stuff, we create the first versions of, of things. We let the world know this thing exists. And then people come to us after and go, hey, we like this thing you've done here, can you build it for us? So we built this, basically this um, healthcare platform for the, for the home called Visit Health. And the whole idea was like, you come home, like my granddad could be here looking at the TV and he can speak to his doctor from here. And the whole idea was we could, from there, people can monitor themselves and all this particular stuff. So the whole idea, so we were like, how do we get this into the NHS? So I said to Rich, to find out if there's any NHS health tech meetups we can go to. We found out there's an NHS health tech meetup. We go to this meetup event and then we meet the director of innovation for the NHS, Tony Young. Mm. And then we tell him, hey, bro, we've got this tool that we've been working on. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> get involved, get plugged in, mm. you name it. And then he goes, great, we're going to meet. We didn't meet until like five months later, but <laughs> we met. Then at the time, we're trying to put it out there. Then we get like some um, like organization in um, Kenya that has like over 70 clinics or something. Some mad number. Yeah, we want the tech. Right. Then we're trying to like put things in. But at the time, we're funding this stuff ourselves, bro. We have hacked this technology together. You know, there are like companies who begin to introduce their own versions. Like, how, how do I explain this? Probably tech people will watch this and cuss me for this explanation. But basically, a lot of technology, soft, a lot of software we see today are what we call, what you might call a container. So let's say Uber, for example. You, it's, you, it's a container. If you think of Uber, Uber's maps, Uber doesn't create its own map software. It uses Google Maps. Okay, yeah. Or I think both probably use Google Maps. One of them uses Apple Maps, not Uber. I think Uber uses Google Maps. But for example, the way how they've connected Google Maps is called, you would plug, you would use an API, which stands for Application Programming Interface. You would, your app would, you would code your app to access information from this place in order to feed to this app. So for example, if I needed to have a map feature in my app, I would use the Google Maps API, I would write code, I would connect it there. 
and then I would get the functionality of Google Maps yeah. without having to pay the amount of money, have the mapping to create your own mm. mapping tool. Yeah. Without using them, it's fucking hard, bro. Yeah, yeah. Look, Google did the whole, <laughs> fucking, whole world satellite, you know what yeah. I mean? So it speeds up and half your process, right? A lot of code has a lot of digital tech apps and stuff we use have a lot of these things in the background. So a lot of these companies were creating their own versions, which all we had to do, yeah, was plug it in for a couple lines of code, all problems would be solved. But bro, they cost a lot of money to run. We right. didn't have bread. Yeah. We're doing these things with whatever bread we're making for making websites, bro. I was making websites on the side. Anybody, what, 200 pounds, you got it, 500 pounds, you got it. The first website I got paid was free grand, fam. I was so happy, bro. When I got my first free brand website, I was so happy, bro. They repair some time. Me and I had to get, we had to drive up there to get the check in, in person. You know what I mean? <laughs> but what happened was we built this tech, we built this hype, we hacked these things together, but the tech would fail a lot. Okay. Like what? Because it's, because it's new stuff. Yeah, it's new stuff, but it wasn't stable. It wasn't. Like I'm just making, creating stuff, like making up things, bringing things to life, going around, showing people demos. Some days it works, some days it wouldn't work. You know, mm. I'm working with a developer based in China who's not, we're not in the same time zone, you know? Mm. So, and he doesn't speak English. So he's not somebody I can whip up on call and be like, hey bro. Yeah, it's not, it work. it's not as easy as that. What's going on, the, the. So like, we would have like demos. Like I think there's a demo where Akin Rich Really big demo for a care home. I think they provide a lot of care homes. They were proper looking forward to technology. It failed. Uh-huh. Stuff like that. So, but it was at the time, there was a couple of struggles. The digital health market is different from, at that time, it's different from what it was now. At that time, unless you was like Babylon Health, who, you know, this founder of Babylon Health had already set up a private healthcare I don't even know, company network, what you name it. And then he created Babylon Health. So he had wealth and capital already to at least get Babylon Health to the first version. And obviously, if folks have followed the story of Babylon, you see that things haven't all worked out well for them, which is which is a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, but Babylon Health, they very much built their own version of, of the same thing. Um, but they were more like, we'll provide doctors. So you, instead of you going to the NHS, you use the Babylon app service and then they create their own GP service called GP at hand, where for us, we were trying to build software to give to the medical professionals to use to speak to their patients. Uh, so we were just mm-hmm. trying to be a pure software play. So, but the NHS don't pay, man. So people are mm-hmm. using your software, we ain't getting bread, bro. Mm-hmm. And same thing again, you go to investors, how do you give us money in three years? Yeah. And I'm like, this is a new space. Like video conferencing, video calls did not be fully embraced until COVID. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, you needed a global pandemic in order to do <laughs> that, right? Yeah. So that there was a lot of those challenges. And so that became what I call failure number three. You had the record label that didn't work. That's a failure number four. Record label that didn't work. The community music app that didn't work. The small business software didn't work. And then the Visit Health didn't work. Got success. We got letters, we got praise, we got reputation. I got into my master's program because Tony Young, being the director of innovation for the NHS, wrote my um, my reference for me. 
So that nice. contributed. So someone will, you go to the Masters in Innovation Program, I'm like, I got the largest, I got a director for the largest health system in the world saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a genius. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, mm. you know, shout out to my course leaders and that. They had to put me there. Fam. But um, and you got that. So you had four failures. Mm. And you're like, fuck. What the fuck? Yeah. And how we, what we started doing funding stuff was like, what allowed us to survive was we're building many visit vi we started building the same versions for other people the so same quite, versions yeah like so basically we had visit health and the technology that we had around it that powered it startups would come to us and be like can you build it for us so you sort of use that as like your own open source kind of thing yeah there was like you got the, the base code yeah there then you just build Interface, from there yeah 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 i'm learning man and like <laughs> or like or you know, we would, people would pay us. That's how we fund this stuff. But we're working with startups. Who yeah, haven't got the money. Money, bro. Yeah. Oh, Thomas <laughs> projects. We get paid one, two, three payment. The fourth one, not there. Mad. So at that point, life is just pamming us, man. <laughs> and the matchup's kind of left. Because matchup is like, the tech thing ain't for him. He's going to focus on art and stuff. I think at the time when he left, it was, it, the, you know, he didn't leave in the, in, in the best way, I'll say that. So I think we were hurt from that. And um, yeah, we just had to get up again and keep going. Now that, that, your journey sounds nuts, man. Yeah. Like, but I guess that's business yeah. journey. Like, this is got, 2015. <laughs> two years, you got those four major failures. Then yeah. one of the, what, who, who was, um, what's his name? Gats, Gatsy. Gabs, 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 he Was he a co-founder? Yeah, he was a co-founder. So and you co one of your co-founders left, not in a good way, and then now, Work with startups, not getting yeah, paid, paid yeah, properly. Yeah. Mad few years. So, start, man. what was like the first? Was there any major turning point? Um, I guess in 2015, me and I, I remember being in the car for kill because, like, we used to travel up and down the country to push visit health, Manchester, Ipswich, Birmingham, you name it, Leeds, Bradford, mm. wherever we need to be, we were there because you were going to all these conferences, putting a name on the map for people to pay attention to us. You know, we wasn't entering spaces that there weren't many of us like us there. So we put ourselves there. We would reach out. We were never scared. We'll find whoever's house we need to sleep in, to sleep. And the kid will have his golf, shout out to his golf polo. I think we probably scarred this guy from driving because I got his driving now. <laughs> and we probably scarred him so much because he would drive up and down. Racking up that mileage, yeah, man. Yeah, racking up mileage. <laughs> Hella energy drinks, you mm. name it. Like, we were just out here, like, hustling, bro. Like, really hustling, fam. Like, like I see on one of the points, you asked me for one of those questions, like, any advice to give you to run a business? Probably need to be a hustler. I, I I don't know any other way. Maybe people give another philosophy, philosophy, sorry, in order to navigate this. But fam, me, bro, hustle, fam. You gotta be busy. Mm. If you're not ready to be busy, Leave it. Just corner. That's that's mm -hmm. how I see it. You get me? So this 2015, we now say, you know what? Bun building our own apps. We've tried. It's not working for us. Why don't we just try this agency thing where we build stuff for other people? Let's build our own social capital. So what happens is we now when it comes to when we want to have our own ideas and we need to raise money, it will be so much easier because now people would be able to like, you know, people would be able to like, just give us 
money. That was the theory. That was the thought process. So 2016, we work with startups. We work with whoever who gave us money to do work, really. We made websites. We made, you know, we helped startups with their apps, help them get to market. But we still weren't making enough money. So I think at that time, Richard goes, Richard goes to work in Tesco. Again, I think he's always been working in Tesco. I think he actually goes, I think he cuts for a year, then he goes work at Tesco, then he goes work at Lidl. Akil works at a Japanese restaurant in Brixton part-time. And then I'm surviving by making websites. You know, so I'm making websites on the side for, you know, different people. And then 2016, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do a master's because I feel like just bad disillusionized. I'm like, I've tried, why is nothing popping? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I ain't got nothing to show for it. It's got bare-filled concepts and ideas. So I'm like, okay, you know what? Let me do the thing every Nigerian, you know, parent or grandparents or guardian's dream, get a degree. So I go to the master's at Central St. Martin's. And that was a turning point for me as, as an individual because it was like, hey, I'm always building these ideas, these concepts, but I didn't know there's a whole world for these things. There's a t- there's an industry around innovation. There are consultancies who specialise in these things. This is an established field and a language. I was just trying to get a master's. So I was like, whoever you take me on, as long as I can make stuff during this master's, I'm fine. I just want to have a master's from one of the prestige places. So if I need to apply for a job, duh, duh. What happened actually at that time in 2016, which kind of gave me momentum, was tech companies begin to start asking if I was interested in opportunities to work there. Some of the big ones, you know, and they were like, yeah, hey, Alex, uh, you know, we've been watching you there, would you be interested in coming to work here? And I was like, raw, me? <laughs> Swear no. You know what I mean? Like, and then I was gassed. I was like, okay, let me go do my masters. Because if anything happens, I'm fine. Because at that mm-hmm. time when you've gone on this whole journey, you've tried to create stuff, but you don't have things to show. You, you know, you're st- at that time, I'm like 21, 22. You know, so I'm like still young, like, you know, mm. I'm still like worried about my outcomes, you know, all of these things. I've tried to run away from the word potential and just focus. And so I go do this master's. It was a really good time. Two years master's. I was also worried about like, would that slow me down, my progress? But it's the best thing I ever did because it was the first time where I'd been predominantly building for for clients and stuff. It was now I could build for myself or I can think about myself. So that was like a place where I almost developed this like school book for how my thoughts of the world was going to be. And it was this thing of, okay, I know how to build technology. I know how to do these things. Also at that same time in 2016, um, companies were also beginning to create innovation labs. So bigger companies were creating these innovation labs where they were like, okay, we want to think like a startup. So let's go hire people, put them in a bunch of WeWorks or some fancy office spaces far away from the office. Mm. Let's basically, um, that's actually, inspired, that's actually what inspired me to go into masters. I'm, I'm going maybe a bit too fast was, um, yeah, this company set up innovation labs where you have this trendy startup types who come up with these new ideas and hopefully like the company would embrace it and launch it. 90% of innovation projects fell. So what happened is I got headhunted um, to be an innovation lead at like a big four consultancy firm. And it was a product innovation lead role. It was like, a, I think a three, six months contract. 
It was 350 a day. I was so gassed in my head. I was already thinking about what I'm going to do with the money. Because I had money like, I ain't never had 350 a day before in my life, dog. I had bread before, fam. I just tight out here, you know what I mean? I've, yeah. been, I've been grafting. I've been really resilient making websites and saving the peas and, you know, and that type of stuff. And so I go for the interview. The headhunter tells me to cut off my hair. I used to have like high tops or, you know, the sponge era. He's like, cut it off, <laughs> cut off your beard. Now, I've been growing a beard since I was 16, fam. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Ringer. You know, I was a ringer. That's what he used to call me back in the days, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, shout outs for those who are of this generation. Yeah. The, the early 90s generation called ringers, fam. You know what mm. I mean? So then what happened? Then, um, yeah, I didn't get the role. Um, and did you, whole, did you go and cut your hair and everything as well? I cut my hair, bro. Oh, man. Bro, I cut my hair, bro. You see how you got a level one dream? Yeah. And that, bro, I had the same level, oh, fam. Bro, clean shave, clean shave, get, everything, yeah. bro. My grandma was proud, happy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, that was, and then I did another interview. That's, and then another interview at another firm. And I just wasn't getting it. But then I realized what was happening, right? Was these roles were like lead positions. They wanted you to actually lead us. I mean, people looked at the stuff I'd done, the portfolio and the CV. And you look at me and then people thought I was older than what I was. And mm. I was like, no, I'm just somebody who knows how to make stuff. Do you yeah. think I know what leadership is? I don't know how to lead anybody. <laughs> yeah. A lot of those roles are less about making, they're more about leadership. So I was like, all right, let me go do a master's. So I can go learn about these roles and stuff. But it was at the time you had big tech. So it was like, let me just do this masters. And then, and then on the side, you know, because Rich was working in, was working at Tesco, Ak is working in Ishiban, um, where, and I'm making websites. So it was like, okay, the business obviously is in this like interesting place. We're still very committed, but we've also gone through the traumas of the last couple of years of startups not paying on time. You're not able to, you know, make rent. So you have to leave the office or maybe you brought on somebody to come work with you. You're now using your savings to pay them because the startup clients pay. Like there was, there was a time where you work with startups that don't pay you. Mm. Just, oh, it was trauma, bro. It was yeah. trauma. That 2016 was definitely, well, like 2017, 2016 and 2017 was kind of like a very traumatic year for us. We were just in a limbo state for like, two years and then I do this masters because you asked me about that turning point. Mm. I do this masters um, and then 2017 is now about creating my final project. And at the time I was like, whatever my master's thesis was going to be on, this is the direction Kamizi would focus on. Like we're going to, like I got men them waiting for me to finish this masters and we're ready mm. to mm. level it up. So I would, so I survived by like teaching design. So I taught design for a company called Design Lab where they would like, it's like an online platform. And um, you basically, people who want to change careers and they want to work in tech, but they want to become designers, you, you teach them and guide them. I think I taught with like 32, 33 students in like a one year period. I don't know how I did it, bro. <laughs> because they're one-to-one sessions. All right, so it's almost every week then? Yeah. Right. Bro, it, was, it was crazy, bro. But yeah. that's what, what man had to do. It's funny because I paid for my masters. Like, mm. you know, and um, and then 2017, what the turning point happened? I guess I was really interested in fashion. At first, when I came to my master's, I was interested in healthcare. I was almost going to do a master's in healthcare and design at Royal College of Art. 
Then I was like, I don't want to trap myself in healthcare because I think we, digital health had just burnt our mind out. We were like, fam, bond this thing. Yeah, bro. yeah, yeah. We're tired because you get me. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so now it's 2017. I'm interested in fashion. I'm interested in like the digital and the physical worlds coming together. How to create fashion experiences which incorporate technology. In, in the store, like how do we change the way how stores are traditionally designed, especially high-end fashion stores where they're very much intimidated places. Mm-hmm. How do we almost make them like coffee shops and stuff? Like I was in this weird, I was just in a mixed place, like, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? And then I had a, I had a, somebody who came to teach us and she was like to me, that's cool, but why don't you look into the ethical implications of all of these technologies? And that's the turn of play. Because at first I went into looking at the Internet of Things and Internet of Things, for those who are not familiar, it's like, the Internet of Things is basically every single device, product is connected to the Internet. That is the principle of it. And I think a lot of times the ethical implications on the Internet of Things was mostly it's connected to the Internet, can people hack into it? Privacy. It's, you know, the scope of conversation is quite boring. And the topics were really nascent and, and not nascent, sorry. The topics were repeated and people had already said it already. Yeah. Then there was obviously the other emerging technology, artificial intelligence. It was like, it's, you know, it's a new, it's not a new blank canvas, it, but the conversation was beginning to gather pace more and more. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to focus on this a bit more. And I spent this whole summer getting my head into Python, trying to understand machine learning models. And, you know, we had a really big conversation about AI, but then I started talking about it, like how can we, how as designers could we start designing interfaces or building AI prototypes and stuff. And at the time, I've never, you know, I met a bunch, a, a wonderful lady. Um, oh God, how can I forget a name for this? So a wonderful lady had this dinner, and um, and in that dinner she introduced me to a bunch of people. One of them worked at DeepMind. Um, someone else worked to us too. Us too was a digital agency. Um, no, well, they are still a digital agency, and they were working with DeepMind a lot on their products. So I meet these people. We're having chats. I'm talking to them about DeepMind. For those who are not familiar, it's a company that you know has done a lot of advancements in artificial intelligence. And they were acquired by Google a long time ago. Um, you know, and we're all talking. I'm talking to them about AI stuff. And I don't know if they co-conspire, but someone goes, I'm I'm gonna speak at, I'm speaking at a meetup on UX and I'm gonna go talk about AI and how we design for AI and how, what are the particular implications that we have to think about as designers of these products. And so someone says, go to this event. Someone goes to this event, I speak. The video of the event goes viral on, online. Someone says to me, hey, Come to us too. Come hang out. Neef, shout out Neef, my boy. Love him to bits. Neef is like, come to us too. So us too is this big agency created by two people, Sinks and Mills. Um, Mills is one of the most wackiest and most intelligent people I've ever met. Sinks is one of the most intelligent people I've met, but he's less wacky yeah, yeah. than Mills. You know, Mills is a person that wears shorts every day, all day long regardless of the weather. One of them guys. Yeah, we have a picture together of 10 down the street where we just wear shorts. Like, going like... And for me, us two from afar was a, was a company I always loved because, you know, 
when you, when you enter this business world, you know, as a black person, you know, and may, I didn't have like role models or people who were like, you know, in front of me to see the path where like man should go and stuff. So I'm always trying to find my world, find my universe. Like I don't want to wear suits. I don't want to have to cut off my beard. I want to be me, you know? And Mills was one of the first people that kind of just allowed me to just be me. And so what happened is we came to us two to come meet Mills. You know, in my head, he was like my superstar because he's, I've been watching us two from outside, me and my broke agency. I'm making websites for a thousand bound. And these people got 200 people agency. And they also have a very successful game studio. One of the games they created was Monument Valley, which for people who listen to this, Monument Valley is a really, really good game. Um, pushed, they really pushed the boundaries of mobile gaming with the, you know, mob, with Monument Valley 1 and 2, and plus the other games they've also released over the years. And I'm there from the outside looking, you know, so I meet Mills and I'm like, Papa, like, I don't even know what to say. And he's like to me, I think you're cool. Why don't you come work out of here? Like bring you and the kill, come set up um, community here. Out of what, their premises? Their offices, their offices. yeah, yeah. Because right. they had a floor called Osteo Adventure, which they had given out to startups and stuff to come work from and pay subsidized rent in Shoreditch. Um, and Mills was like, yeah, come pull up. That come. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, no. Because I didn't have the money. And it was overwhelming. It's like a really, I was in a really like depressive state of my life at that mm-hmm. stage. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to get this master's going. I'm the first in master's. I'm teaching, God knows, 11 students a week. You know, I'm just pushing my body beyond where it should be pushed to. I ain't looking after myself well. Um, all those things. So I'm just like, bruv, as much as this is a dream, no. And then the kill says yes. And then we figure out a partnership. But being at us two was that place where, like, what it did for us was A, was in shortage. So it's a different environment. Yeah. B, we're in a community of people who like, who um, um, who care. And, they were, you know, we all looked after each other. I'm still very close friends with a lot of the people I met there. C, we had the, the relationship with Mills and Sinks. So we were able to learn from Mills and Sinks, the good, the bad, the ugly. If you want to grow big like us, this is the pros and cons. If you don't want to grow big like us, here's the pros and cons. You learn all of these things. For me, I think also at the time, I spent a lot of time trying to understand, like, you know, I since 19, given my whole life to this thing, which comes at the sacrifices of everything else, health, friendship, re- relationships, you name it, all that stuff. And I was also interested in meeting these guys who were in their 40s, like how, you know, yeah. you know I've done it, done it all. So like, you know, these are not even involved in the company no more. They've actually exited the business to their mm. teams and stuff, you know what I mean? So, like, how does stuff work? Um, so that became the turning point, but where things really hit was, like, 2018. We're still pushing a lot on this AI stuff. At the time, Kamuzi was still in this weird place because we wasn't sure what our identity was as a company. So when we moved to us two, um, there was a lovely lady called Fran, and her world is, like, branding, marketing, comms. He knows that bag. So she does, like, an exercise with us, with Akil and I. At the time, Richard's working in Tesco. So he's now working in Tesco full-time mm-hmm. or little. He's doing full, he's doing night shifts and overtime. Rich is a worker, so that man going to do night shifts, overtime, you name it. 
Mm. You know, so it's just me and Ak. We're riches from afar. So at that time, everybody's like, who's this richest guy that he's not keep talking about? So <laughs> some invisible brother, you know what I mean? <laughs> so we moved to us to Fran Nab does his brand exercise with us where she's like, okay, what do you lot, who do you lot want to be? And I think at the time we was in this weird place of trying to figure out what do we be? Are we trying to be like a, cons- a management consultant? Are we trying to be this? Are we trying to be that? Like, what are we, are we trying to be a startup? What are we trying to be? And then I think I said to Ak, I think I just watched Rick and Morty and I was like, Rich, I was like, to Ak, we should be Rick and Rick, you know, and Rick, mm-hmm. you know, for the, you know, Rick and Rick is the, is the wacky scientist. Rick without the misogyny and all them other stuff that comes with that. But mm-hmm. Rick, the genius, the thinker, and we need to almost create this company where we're almost like a lab in a way. We're like this creative lab where we work with companies who want interesting concepts and have this fusion of creativity and technology and like we bring that to the world and we got cast and then that all became the iteration of community which is what everything you see now and um you know and at the time people were like who are you to like why you want basically you want to do the work that everybody wants to do what's the usp what's your thing and it's something i still never understand this to this day and i realized the usp of community was really about acting our mind. Mm. It was really about the creativity side. Anybody could build tech, but to really come up with some of the ideas we came up with was this thing of like, that thing of like, what does it mean to be creative? What does creativity even mean? Where does that even function from? And it was, and it was a combination of our experiences, the way how we saw the world, the knowledge we put in our brains, and all of the things combined together, then it was like, all right, we can build the tech. To mm. That reaction there was well. To build the tech <laughs> to basically combine those things together. So 2018, we're still trying to figure out who's going to be the people that's going to work with us and stuff. We were still having some successes and little successes. But there was the team in BBC R&D who really loved us. I think we did a workshop in the beginning of the year in 2018 about like AI and then we got asked to come to the BBC to come give a talk. So we came and give a talk at the BBC, the R&D team, which they have a whole department of called research and development. BBC is funded by and the British government and obviously by the, you know, our, our TV license fees. So, but they also have to contribute to research and, and, and development. A lot of really cool innovations have come out of an R&D, like iPlayer, for example, comes from there and so much more. I love BBC R&D lot. They're an amazing bunch of wacky people who come up with really interesting stuff, fusing the worlds of creativity, technology together. And we resonated with them quite a lot. And we came in to give a talk about like speculative design, speculative fiction. That's a, where my a lot of my master's thesis is based on. It's basically about like building technology products or services that are not for commercial purpose. They're more for explorational purpose. Most times to question and critique the world around us in order for this you know and that's a whole if you think of it that's a whole it's a different world of thinking mm. world of thought a lot of that thought comes mostly from like rca design schools where you have this really deep 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 fingers um there's a whole book called speculative everything and a lot of my brain like i remember when i got exposed to that word of speculative design and speculative fiction 
Black Mirror is what people use as a visual example of that, where Black Mirror build, you know, Black Mirror is set in particular scenarios and there's these technologies are created, yeah. which eventually normally start off to show the benefits of it. And then they maybe have a particular moment where we questions you as the viewer to question the, 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 the utilization of this technology. If it was something that you could use right now, mm. you know, what would you feel? So Black Mirror, you know, it, people in this space will critique that type of, but Black Mirror is probably the perfect example of that type of thinking in that type of way. So BBC R&D were like, all right, let's do some projects together on around the future of news. So how do we create new, you know, they were exploring like future of news formats and what can we do for the Beeb to do stuff? So we came in and we worked with them and, um, you know, they, they basically used the whole training and development budget that they got to pay us. <laughs> and they didn't right. even go through, they literally were like, we're going to work with you. I, I'm so grateful um, to the folks over there. And that was like the first of the time where we had like a proper big company or like someone come and say, hey, yeah, we like you. Think it's smart. Come work with us. And then that became a project that birthed into more and more. Um, we didn't, I started doing a lot more stuff with AI and technology in 2018 and then 2019 momentum began to build up and then mm. that's like where the breakout year happened was 2019 because that's when we got to a point where we were even pay, able to pay us off our first salary. We got Richard left little, we were able to make mm. enough money to pay Richard to mm. the same salary he earned at little. And since then, Richard has never, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and that's where things began to change. The journey sounds mad, actually. And it's, it's, proper, it's proper to hear it when you tell it like that. It's like for, it's like for what, six years? For 2013, 2019, it was like a grind. Yeah. Basically like a grind where yeah. you've had to, everyone's had to do stuff on the side in yeah. order to keep the thing going. Yeah. And it's only after then you start to build some momentum. Yeah. And even and then at 2019, we were paying us up like a back in a month. Mm. It wasn't even like you it wasn't still like this. London in London is not gonna. But I think we were still living at home and that and so mm. forth. So it was all right. And then year by year, things increased as the business got better. Fundament, you know, we followed a lot of really good business fundamentals. We done a lot of stuff, and we were quite fortunate. You know, COVID actually boosted the growth of the business because people went wanted to go digital. And remember, I talk about healthcare, right? Yeah, we were just playing healthcare from twenty fourteen. Mm, yeah, yeah. You've done, the, you've, done the you've done the preparation. Yeah, until twenty twenty. Yeah, know what I mean. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, but it's interesting. It's like that resilience piece because, yeah. like, you guys were working hard for six years, and it would it could probably could have just quit. And yeah, we could have quit. I don't think quitting was in our head. Yeah, but a lot a lot of people it would be in a lot of people's heads, and it makes sense though, isn't it? Like, if you're grinding, you're grinding, you're grinding. A lot of people be like, you know what? I've I've had four major failures. I've done this. I've done that. It ain't working for me. Let me step away from this and let me go and try something completely different. Mm. But that story you spoke about when you moved into that new office space and then the, the woman was like, right, let's do this brand exercise. Who are you? What's your identity? That kind of thing. That's very interesting. I think like when you're grinding, you're working, oftentimes you can just be, you know, like when you're just working, working, mm -hmm. working, like you don't take time to step back yeah. and actually assess stuff holistically and properly. And then you, when you step back, you're like, all right, yeah, who are we? Yeah. Get that in place. But I think I think we've been the masters of the pivot. We've known how to pivot and morph in the shape and forms, but also community's never gone bigger than 11 people. 
And I mm. guess that's due to the nature of our work. Because we framed ourselves as this like lab where we do like these innovation projects. When innovation projects most times are very much you're working with bigger companies, they have particular teams, you might be the R&Ds or the innovation teams, and you're doing sometimes conceptual pieces of work. So some of these projects never come up. You know, it might be like, show us where we can go with this technology, or show us where we shouldn't go with this technology, or write a report, you know, do your research, build a prototype, create a report, give us a strategy on how we can be a smart borough. You know, so sometimes the projects vary. So we've never grown as like bigger than like 11 people. Yeah. I mean, some agencies, they explode, they go massive. So it's been easy for us to kind of like still be lean and and, and nimble in, 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 in this journey, but also learn, be able to pivot because sometimes, you know, turn the company people pivoting versus us pivoting is too different. 200 people, you'll get everybody yeah. to see one vision. You'll get everybody to see their, that's slow. But for us, we're small. You know, mm. if we can all agree on a vision and everything's right, change can happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then more recently, you guys have raised money, haven't you? Yeah, we, yeah. yeah. We, we didn't actually raise money. It's an interesting one. We got offered money. Okay. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't raise money. We accepted it. Like when, um, when we um, were going to be, an, you know, we're going to be an agency. We didn't think about like th that juice of me coming up with like ideas to build apps and stuff had gone and it could only work if in my head, like if I felt there was a problem really worth solving or really addressing. And I've always been interested in healthcare, but healthcare is such a hard sort of industry to, to, to crack. But we had done a lot of work with Impact in Urban Health. They are a funder, they fund a bunch of projects that address, um, you know, health challenges across like South London, but they're also part, they're a sub brand of this larger foundation called the Guys and St. Thomas's Foundation. I think I've got that right. And the Guys and St. Thomas Foundation was founded by, I think a guy called Thomas Guy who made his money. You know how old rich people who died 200 yeah. years ago made their bread <laughs> in it, you know how they made their bread in it, you know? Mm. But he created this foundation, which helped, I think has supported um, guys in St. Thomas's Hospital. For those who are from South London, it's a really large hospital. It's probably one of the largest trusts in London in general, in the country, I think. But they have, you know, this foundation where they fund projects and um, the innovation team, the innovation director and one of the portfolio managers there, um, that, you know, we had worked with them on a bunch of projects and they were like, you lot are getting bigger. And as you lot get bigger, you're going to work with bigger clients. And what's going to happen, right, is with these clients, they ain't going to pay you on time. So you might need to start thinking about what happens. And it's true. We community was fully bootstrapped. We hired our, we scaled to 11 people, no outside money. And it was this year about fundamentals. It was like, um, it would be like stuff like, okay, we've got all this business, Rich, send invoice. Invoice comes, then Rich will be like, okay, I feel like I can hire her. Then we hire mm. something, and that would have its pitfalls, you know. And we would have always love to be in a place where we could have hired people before a project had started. Sometimes we hire somebody in the middle of the project before, like it was just a you know a combination. But that's because we had to be very careful with money. We needed to know, you know, everything was built around the invoice game. You know, invoice on time, 
complete this project by this date so we can invoice so the money drops on this day so we have this we have that like there was a process like a very you know to keep the business running and stuff and so when the investment we were offered it we didn't look for it and then i remember rich was like rich i remember rich was like no and i was like yeah and my whole argument was like because for years we've always had to look behind our shoulders you know, mm. we've not jumped or moved. We've always kept lean and nimble and stuff, which is nothing wrong with that. I think those are good principles, but sometimes you haven't been able to take a step back. So that's why um, we agreed to, you know, to to to, to take um, money from impact, yeah, mm. from you know, but in the form of a convertible loan note agreement. So it wasn't like equity take. It was more like we take this amount of money from you. And in a couple of years back, if we reach certain targets and stuff, we pay you the money back or it can convert to shares. Right. So, yeah, so it wasn't done like taking equity. Because <clears throat> we're an agency business. So, so, so mm. sometimes it's like, you know, unless we begin to pivot into developing our own IP and like maybe launch our own software products and stuff, you know, sometimes you got to talk about capital. What's the capital's purpose? The capital was used, you know, would be used to help run the agency, and maybe you might you might use it. Commit. We did commit to to a bunch of R and D projects. We do have some R and D projects. I think for us, we're in this place where, what is the future iteration? We celebrated ten years of the business this year, and the ride has not been smooth. Yeah, it sounds like it's it. not been smooth. Yeah. What you do you, what do you feel like in terms of like? Because it seems like, well, things started to take off in 2019. Do you think that there's been some, any one or a couple of very important things you feel like that's helped you scale the way you guys have scaled in recent years? I think COVID, like yeah. I said, COVID came in, but also the world began to pay attention to us, right? And that had been like six years. That had been, at that point, six years in the making. So it's like stuff that was outside of your control, you think? Then? Yeah. I always attribute a lot of these things to God. And I always say like things that like, there's many things that's happened. Like I'm telling a story, and there's, you know, my brain has probably collapsed itself. But there, there was many more things I could probably say. Like, you know, I ended up at the TED conference in Vancouver because some Mills had a podcast that he was doing where he would record himself talk about stuff. He would talk about me a lot in that podcast. Somebody messaged me saying, "Oh, you must be someone important because Mills is speaking about you." <laughs> hey, come here. Shit like that, bro. Like, this mm. bare stuff that's happened. Like, Mike McCready saying come Barcelona in 2013. I didn't plan that, bro. There's mm. many things I didn't plan. So like, you still do. You've been doing, to keep that same work ethic from 2013, that grind, and just all the way through yeah. until opportunities align themselves, until the economy is ready or until people are ready, until you start getting noticed, yeah. and then opportunities and, but come. But you still don't stop. Now it's just we're older now. So we ain't got as much energy or capacity and stuff as we used to do. You know, the man them got other commitments now, you know, like families and shit like that. You know, so now as we get older, into our 30s, there's a combination of different things. Over is very tired, you know. We gave a 10 years of our life to this thing. Sick. Uh, that's the thing. We got to wrap up in a bit. I've kept you longer. I don't even know how long this is. <laughs> I, I should have kept you for right now, man. But it's been sick, man. Your journey has been like... It's proper. It's quite inspirational to hear hear it the way you explain it with those four failures and grinding for X amount of years, and then kind of coming around. You know, at least now 
get into a place where yeah. you're a bit more comfortable and you guys are achieving some skill and looking yeah. forward, man. It's been sick, man. So thank you for coming down. I appreciate no, it, man. No, thank you, and, man. Um, just as we wrap up, final question to you. For our listeners here, so Thousand Voices, we interviewed Thousand Black British Changemakers, people who are driving change in their lives and their communities in the world through the work that they do. What advice would you give to somebody listening who wants to drive a level of change? It's an interesting thing, right? Because I don't think I, I don't think I intentionally wanted to think about driving change. I think for me, it was always about how do I improve the how do I improve the the environment and the world around me for myself and my loved ones, and that became my that was my focus, and that's always been my focus. And I think it's like it starts from there. It starts from home, you know. Um, yeah, how, if there's something that you care about and you're passionate enough, like, yeah, how do you, how, yeah, yeah, how do you basically, like, yeah, focus on it. I think to do it really well, to do anything really well, you have to be committed to it. Like, there are thousands of voices podcasts. Like, I walked into here and I walked in from the door and I could see, You've got the brand, you've got the logo by the door, you know what I mean? I've walked in, I'm like, okay, I see everything. The commitment, the quality of equipment in, in this room right now, the cost, the capital, I'm looking at things and I'm thinking, <laughs> thinking, bro, you know what I mean? The nice chair and that, you get me? Like, it's bare stuff that people ain't seen right now that I can see in this room. Behind the camera. Behind the camera, you know what I mean? And that's where, for anybody that wants to make change, it's not about this, it's about behind and the quality the commitment the desire that are you willing to go for it you know and 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 and, and that type of stuff and that's that's the questions that you know act rich and, my, and myself asks and that's the questions we're gonna have to ask as well as we enter 2024 how are we feeling are we ready to go again because we haven't had in that story like i said the smooth sailing path. We had, you know, four or five failures, 2019, great year, COVID comes, wow. Not smooth sailing, recovery bounce, everything goes well. Then boom, now you're in this weird economic moment where, you know, I've seen companies similar size that, I, that I've always admired and enjoy where they've closed their businesses and stuff like, so it's never been a smooth, sailing journey you know what i mean and i think we've had to accept mentally for ourselves maybe that's it ain't gonna be smooth it's you know sailing but you gotta ask yourself tomorrow are you ready to go again or what's keeping you going you know what are you motivated by you have to find those things and but you have to be committed i think that's the most important thing is commitment and commitment will show you your outputs, whatever you you get from return will show you based on how committed you are and how smart you are as well. You can be committed and you can be stupid, committed stupidly, fam. But you got to be be smart as well, you know, and, and understand the game that you have to play in order to influence change. There's also a game that you have to play and um, finding your way of doing that is one of the things I think I've done. So I had to find a way to play this game on my own terms because, boy... I couldn't do it like anybody else, you know what I mean? <laughs> so that's me, man. No, but 
Thank you so much, bro. Um, oh, thank you, man. I appreciate yeah. you coming down, man. Thank you once nah, again. Calm, my, brain, my brain has fried, but <laughs> I, I'm your... Nah, was sick, you man. Know, thank I mean, you, man. So, if yeah, people want to keep up to date with yourself, with Kamuzi, how can they best do so? So you can check the Instagram and Kamuzi underscore lab. I think the Twitter is also Kamuzi underscore lab. You can... The Kamuzi website is kamuzi.xyz. C-R-M-U-Z-I dot X-Y-Z. I'm on socials, Lex Makes Things. And yeah, that is me. Thank you so much. Nice one, man. And you got any think any final words you want to say before we close off? Uh, guys, I hope you enjoyed this, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thank you for coming down yeah, once so much, again. Bro, man. Um, this is 1000 Voices. We had Lex for Fago on the podcast. So for now, people, we're out. Thank you.